the gospel, we have to remember, it's not, it's not a message to believe and then move on from. It's a, it's a message to hold fast to. So important and so essential is it that it never moves away from that central place of importance for the Christian, ever. Ever. It is that important. It is that effective. Author Richard Koch, who he is a, he's not a Christian, he's a secular author, but he very rightly points out, he says, most of what exists in the universe, and this is, this is blunt, most of what exists in the universe are actions and all other forces, all our resources, all of our ideas, has little value and yields little result. On the other hand, a few things work fantastically well and have tremendous impact. That's a blunt reality to come to terms with, isn't it? Most things in life, most things you think, most things you say, have little value and yield very little results in the grand scheme of things. But there are a few things which hold tremendous value and are incredibly impactful, and chief among them is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel works supremely well and has unparalleled impact, but, listen, if we in the Corinthians are commanded to hold fast to it, then it must be because we have a tendency to lose our grip on it. It must be because we have a tendency to, to set other priorities falsely alongside it. That's exactly what Paul is getting at here. Listen, Greg, Greg McKeown, uh, again, in his book Essentialism, says, and this is a very helpful illustration, he says, think about what happens to your closet when you never organize it. Does it stay neat and tidy with just those few outfits you love hanging on the rack? <laughs> Nobody's nodding their head. <laughs> Everybody's shaking their head. Of course not. When you make no conscious effort to keep it organized, the closet becomes cluttered and stuffed with clothes you rarely wear. Every once in a while, it gets so out of control, and this is hitting home for me, it gets so out of control, you try and purge the closet. But unless you engage in a regular discipline of organization, You'll either never get rid of anything because everything somehow becomes so important that you don't want to give it away. Or you end up with regrets because you accidentally gave away the things that you actually wanted to keep. The gospel is like that favorite suit or that best dress in your closet that you got the day you became a Christian. You always wear it. You should always wear it. It is that one piece of clothing you should wear every time you get ready for the day. It never wears out. It never falls out of fashion. It is appropriate for every single occasion. And it only actually becomes more beautiful with time. But the closet of our, of our Christian life becomes cluttered. And if we don't regularly engage in the discipline of being reminded of the gospel, that, that suit 
that dress is worn less frequently. It just becomes something that we wear sometimes when we sense our need for it. Or we start wearing other flashier clothes that are trending at the moment that make you get noticed or make you have a sense of value and and impact. And then after a while, you forget it's in the closet at all. And at worst, you accidentally give it away and you get rid of it and you come to your closet one day and you realize it's gone. The closet of your Christian life no longer is occupied by the gospel. So infrequently have you worn it. Having forgotten that it should have been kept at all costs. What was once the priority gets lost and forgotten in the clutter of your busy schedule. You, you, you set your effort at being a good person right on the same rack as the gospel. You had another hanger for your formal participation in the church and set that as, as the same priority level as the gospel. Or, or you, you hang a hanger for your career, another one for your role as a, as a mother or a father. A few for the stuff that you've bought and the, hobby, the hobbies that you've become interested in. A few for this podcast and that book. A few for this vacation and, and, and this form of leisure. And the closet becomes completely cluttered with competing priorities that never should have been put on that same rack. And you find yourself asking, what, what was important? What was most important? Yeah, I'll remember. I'm sure I will. And then one day you find out it's not there at all. We've got to regularly tighten our grip on the gospel. Listen, if you're new to this church and you're wondering what kind of a church this is, hear me clearly that this is a gospel as a matter of first importance church above all else. Not saying that we always do it well or better than the next guy down the road, but that is our first priority. That is our only priority, and we aim for it always to be our priority, to never let anything else exist on that same rack. That's one reason why we gather every Sunday. We, we gather to tighten our grip on the gospel, to hold fast to it. As we hear it preached from this pulpit every Sunday, as we sing songs intentionally that, that help us to articulate the rhythms and the words that comprise the gospel as we engage in fellowship and bear one another's burdens around the gospel, as we eat and drink the elements of the gospel together in the Lord's table, every Sunday we gather, we are, we are tightening our grip on the gospel. In fact, that, that's kind of, it's kind of the job description of your pastors. It's keeping the gospel the matter of first importance. There is nothing more important for you to expect of your pastors than that. If you ever see that becoming one among multiple priorities, that's the moment you, you start to sound the alarm. Listen, there's never going to be a Sunday when, 
when all of a sudden we reveal some brand new, some brand new truth that's finally going to solve your problems. We're, we're not reserving that. It's already been done. The secret has been revealed. That, that's Paul's language. The mystery has already been revealed. And it, it's, it's right here. It's the gospel. So listen, if you're a guest here and you're, you're looking for a church, let me encourage you. I'm not saying you've you got you to keep coming to this church, but let the gospel be the priority that you're seeking in a church. Not, not how many people are there in the same season of life as you, not what kind of music is being played, not, not how many people go to that church or, or even who the, the pastor is as, 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 as far as his fame or personality, whatever. No, no, no. Is the gospel the priority of that church? Are, are all of the component parts of that church arranged around the singular priority of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you're looking for a church, that's how you determine the kind of church you should be at. Because it's a matter of first importance for you. Now, what is the gospel? <laughs> We've talked around this a lot already this morning, but let me ask now this second question. What is what does the gospel look like? The second point of our, our sermon this morning, what the priority looks like, verses 3 through 8. And this is, if you're looking for the juicy stuff, this is the juicy stuff. It's the juicy stuff there for was. Paul says in verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received. This is so good. Paul isn't a philosopher. He's not taking this truth and, and, and shaping it and forming it according to, to his ideological understanding of it. He, he's, not, he's not waxing eloquent, not trying to, to make something that's dull, more beautiful. No, 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 no. He's just receiving, he's keeping, and he's passing along. And the same gospel that he received and passed along is the same gospel that we celebrate today, 2,000 years later. The gospel is identified by four that's. Four that's. That Christ died for our sin. That he was buried. That he was raised. That he appeared. In short, that's the gospel right there. But let's go a little more deeply into it. Verse 3. That Christ died for our sins according to to the scriptures. Theologian Gordon Fee calls this the, the central tenet of the Christian faith. Embedded here is the fundamental problem with you, the fundamental problem with this world, the fundamental problem with, with our culture and every culture that exists and has existed. The fundamental problem is alienation from God because of our rebellion against God. It's what, it's what God calls in the Bible sin. It's rebellion, it's rebellion against God. And the Bible is clear. The just punishment for sin is death. Genesis 2.17. It says, In that day that you rebel against my command, you shall surely die. Romans 6 says, For the wages of sin is death. God's righteous wrath toward those created in the image of God who took the image and smashed it on the ground. 
Jesus took our sin on himself. And in the three hours on the cross, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour on Good Friday, he bore the righteous wrath of God for sin in himself. And he died. He really died. And listen, this was no Hail Mary attempt. It was according to the scriptures. This was planned and predestined that he would die. How do we know that he actually died? Verse 4, this is significant. He was buried. That he was buried. The second that. Listen, (laughs) in ancient Rome, expert executioners, and there were many expert executioners because they were good at execution, expert executioners knew death when they saw it. And they saw death in Jesus. He was dead, he was confirmed to be dead, and he was buried. Listen, Jesus lived a perfect life. The only perfect life that has ever been lived in the history of mankind. And the Bible says that the one who keeps the law perfectly shall live by the law, Romans 10.5. Which means that it should be no surprise to anyone if, if Jesus were unjustly killed, that God would raise him from the dead. Because he alone has actually earned life. So so the resurrection, that that Jesus would rise from the dead is actually not that surprising, except that he died as the righteous one in the place of sinners, covered in our sin. See, theologians throughout the, the centuries have spoken of the great exchange that happened on the cross. On the cross, Jesus took his perfect record of righteousness, like a a robe, and he took it off of himself, and he placed it onto anyone who would believe in him. And he he says, here, you take my robes of righteousness. You put them on yourself if you believe in me. And then I'm gonna take your imperfect record, your sin, your anger, your lust, your hatred, your envy, your wickedness, all those things that go on inside your head that never actually come out but that you entertain all the time, all those things that are deep in your heart that if, we're, if they were displayed for the rest of the world to see, you would hide in a corner. He took all of that the worst that you've done, the worst that you've said, the worst that you've thought. And he says, I'll put that on instead. And in so doing, united us with himself. All who believe in him have been united to him. United in his righteousness, and he united to us in our sin. And that's what he went to the grave with. Now this changes things, doesn't it? This changes things. One who dies in sin deserves to remain dead under God's wrath. That's why when the disciples saw him dead, they, they fell into despair. They went, oh no, we, we. Luke 24. They, they say, we thought he was the one to redeem us from our sins. But he's dead. But he's dead. If he remains in the grave, then we remain united to him in his death, and there is no life for us. If there's no life in him, there's no life in us. 
That's why, that's why Good Friday is so solemn. But if he rises from the grave, then he really has fully paid the price for sin. He really has earned life. He really has defeated death. And he really has earned life for all who are united to him by faith. This is remarkable, isn't it? Listen, we've heard all through the Gospel of Mark these past several months, Jesus claimed authority. He claimed to be able to forgive sins. He claimed to be the new temple. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the, the Savior. He claimed to be God. And a lot of people have made such claims throughout history. A lot. <laughs> and they all died. And they're all still dead. Except for one. Verse 5. Ha. <laughs> Verse 5, or verse 4, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Hallelujah. He's risen, friends. This, this is no cosmic safety blanket. This is no pipe dream. This is a historical risen Jesus Christ. His sacrifice to God fully accepted. His conquest over death completed. The redemption of creation, the the removal of all of the effects of of the fall have begun to be rolled back in his resurrection. His programs moving forward. Everything he claimed to be and to do was vindicated in in his resurrection. Resurrection is God's stamp, his seal of approval over all that Jesus claimed to be and to do. This morning, I, I, I spoke at a, a sunrise service at Fairhaven Memorial at the, at the mortuary, uh, which a sunrise service they've been doing for 30 years. I don't even know, know about it until they asked me to come and, and pray and to speak at it. But it was fascinating talking about celebrating the resurrection in the midst of thousands of graves. Before 500 people who are sitting there, most of whom are likely there because they have friends and loved ones who are buried. And you can have wishful thinking about hope and life until you actually confront death. And the only hope that those people have for their loved ones, for themselves, is a risen Christ. And hallelujah, praise be to God, that is a real hope. It is the only hope for life after death. Jesus did battle with death, and he won. And he's victorious. And this also was according to the scriptures. Jeff Perswell says, This was no accident of history, no coincidental event. God himself purposed and planned and prophesied the cross and the resurrection. It is these four things, these four that's, that he died, that he was buried, that he was raised, that he appeared, that are the climax of what God has been doing all throughout history. This is the hinge point of history being described right here. No wonder it's a matter of first importance. Now, Was he really raised? Well, that's why Paul writes verses 5 through 8. He appeared. says four times. He appeared to to more than 500. 
he, he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and then he appeared, but first to Cephas, and then he appeared to Paul. This is emphatic eyewitness testimony, which in the ancient world was the gold standard for historical veracity. And Paul's saying, it wasn't just a couple people who saw him. It was hundreds over, over several days. And he says in 1 Corinthians, most of these people are still alive, even though some of them have, have died. He says, this is historically verifiable. So here's what you need to know about this matter of first importance. This this alleged priority of all of life. The gospel is objective. The gospel is objective. It is concrete. It is something that is outside of me. Notice in these eight verses, there is nothing about me. There's nothing about you. The gospel has nothing to do with what you do. The gospel doesn't even have anything to do with what you believe. The gospel is a that, not a this. There's an old German theologian who called, who, who spoke of the gospel's dasness, the thatness of the gospel. It has nothing to do with this. It is not my faith. It's not even my repentance. It's not, the gospel isn't my response to the work of Christ. The gospel isn't my feelings. The gospel isn't my circumstances. The gospel isn't the strength of my faith. The gospel isn't my obedience. The gospel isn't my godliness. The gospel is not this. It's that. Isn't that good news? Because this, everything in this, is changing. It's always changing. Some days I feel good. Sometimes, some, some days I feel terrible. Some days, in my eyes, I think I'm doing pretty well at following Christ. Other days, I am straying hard. Some days, I'm holding fast to Christ. Other days, I feel like I'm barely keeping my grip. If the gospel is this, oh, what a shaky road we're walking. But it's not. It's a that. The gospel is a finished, completed, objective, concrete, unchanging reality. It hasn't changed and it never will. The same today is when Paul penned these words. It is always reliable. It's always true. It's always sufficient. Always. Listen, in, in an overly psychologized culture that emphasizes all the time how we feel, this ought to be supremely good news to us. Your standing before God never changes because of your recent performance. Never. God's love for you doesn't change based on your circumstances and how well things are going. God's power toward you is inexhaustible in Christ. His purposes for you are immovable in Christ. The gospel is of first importance. It is the priority. This morning, what is your priority? What's hanging in your closet? There should only be one thing in there. Maybe it's in there, but there are a bunch of things alongside it, and you've sort of forgotten it's in there. 
maybe it's not in there at all. Let me close by addressing three, three groups of people. And we're doing so compassionately, but also joyfully, knowing what we're celebrating this morning. First group of people. Th- those who, who believed, but your life bears no resemblance to what you confess. Or you're always questioning your assurance of your, of your salvation. Don't get me wrong, the gospel is not of this, but the gospel will bear fruit. It will take hold, Jesus will take hold of your life and produce joy and hope and peace, and graciousness, kindness, patience. But maybe your life and you're aware of it doesn't reflect any of that. For you, maybe... Maybe you've lost your grip on the gospel. Or maybe what you held tightly to at first wasn't the gospel at all. Maybe it was a this gospel. Maybe what you believed is that I have got to get to be reconciled with God myself, and I've got to get there. Maybe you thought, I, I believe that if I feel like God loves me, then He loves me. But it was never about holding fast to Christ and believing that what he has done is alone sufficient for your salvation. For you, hold fast to that gospel, not of this gospel. Second group of people, if you've never believed, and you're coming this morning saying, I I know, I know I've never believed in that gospel. That, That suit, that dress has never been in the closet. It's time to put that suit, that dress in your closet. It's time to, for the first time, to trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. It's time to make Him the priority and the only priority of your life because in Him, you have life. Apart from Him, you will remain like those thousands of souls who remain in the grave at Fairhaven Memorial today. But in Him, in His resurrection, there's life, an eternal life, and that, put the gospel in your closet. Make it your first priority. Third group of people, if the gospel that you believe is the gospel that you just heard, and you're sitting here going, amen, hallelujah, that is what I believe, hold fast to it. Don't assume that it'll remain your priority. Just like you can't assume that your, gu- your closet is going to stay organized by not paying attention to it. It will get cluttered. Don't assume that you don't need regular reminders of the gospel. Do not, do not underestimate the importance of regular reminders of the gospel. Celebrate the frequency of reminders of the gospel. Encourage one another to live their lives in light of the gospel. Because, my friends... This priority is not a plural word. Live your life firmly fixed on the gospel, the matter of first importance, and rejoice that you have life in a risen Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we rejoice that Jesus is alive today. Not that he was alive He rose from the grave never to return to the grave again. 
Death was defeated in his death. His claims were vindicated by your resurrection of him. And he stands, he sits now advocating for us until the day when he returns. Lord, I pray that you would tighten our grip on the gospel, that you would help us to never, ever, ever let it go. To clear out other competing priorities and to leave that gospel hanging in our lives as the matter of first importance. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.